got everything where it needs to be. I've already lost one thing that goes to my microphone this morning, and so I ain't feeling real good about that. And then I remembered as I'm getting ready that I hadn't sent my notes to my iPad. Y'all almost got real lucky this morning. I was so I run over the other building, and and uh, Jeff Gentry and some others over there, and they said, "What are you doing over here?" And uh, so, well, I got fired, and so uh, so so here I am. And so anyway, but I'm I'm glad to be here. Uh, and uh, so Dylan beat me beat me in here. So that's uh, it's pretty good. But uh, anyway, uh, let's let's pray together, and then we'll we'll look at God's word. Our heavenly Father, we thank you for a beautiful morning. We thank you for for Dylan and his baptism this morning, for his commitment to Jesus Christ. God, I pray for him. That, Lord, you would continue to surround him with godly people. We thank you for his parents and his family. We thank you, Lord, for West Fork and the leaders there. We thank you for Elm Grove and all who have poured into his life. And, Lord, we pray over him that, that you would keep your hand on him. That, Lord, he would, he would continue to grow in faith and in love for you. And that through the difficult times that his eyes would remain toward heaven. And that, uh, Lord, all that he does would be led by your Holy Spirit. And, Lord, we pray the same for ourselves this morning. Lord, in a tumultuous week that we've experienced as a country, with folks on both sides, on neither side, with folks taking sides, God, we pray this morning that we would be united under your word. That, Lord, all that we do here would be for the one kingdom that matters. And that is the kingdom of Jesus Christ. We know that kings and kingdoms, as the song says, will all pass away. But we know there's something about that name, the name of Jesus. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that you are Lord to the glory of God the Father. Lord, may we bow and confess this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Every once in a while, I walk into a situation, and you're probably the same way, and I show up, and I've got some experience in a particular area, doing things a particular way, and the people that I'm around are doing it differently. And I really struggle with that. I'm just going to be quite honest with you. That is, that, it's sometimes more than I can handle. And, and in fact, not, not long ago, my wife and I were, were at a thing like that, and I just, I, I, I just started telling her all the things that they needed to be doing. You know, I would have I would have done it differently. That that's basically my message to her. I, I would have done this a little a little differently. And of course, if I had done it, obviously it would have been great. You know, it would have been wonderful because those people have no clue what they're doing, right? And so, I would have done it a little different. Not how I would have would have done that. Not how I would have handled that. Not how I would have planned that or organized or administrated or whatever. And uh, and that's that's uh, I think something that's probably common for many of us. When we think about Christmas, which of course is appropriate that we're dedicating our shoeboxes today, the more that you look at the Christmas story, at least for me, the more that I look at it, the more I realize that's not how I would have done it. That's really not how I, me personally, it's not how I would have done it. Uh, We see that today in, in our world 
cries out. Look, this is not how we would have done Christmas. What our world wants for Christmas now is just presents and nice things and happy holidays and blah, blah, blah. And let's be nice to everybody and, you know, joy to the world and so on and so forth and whatever. That's how our world wants to do Christmas is just be nice to people because isn't being nice to people the ultimate goal anyway? If you're just nice to people, then surely you have a place in heaven because heaven is for really nice people, right? And so, you know, and of course, you know, the only people that are the nice people are us. You know, it's everybody out there. They're not the nice people. They don't get in. And so we want to be really nice at Christmas. We want nice things and we want to do nice things for people. It's not how we would have done Christmas, what we read in the scripture. Uh, We need, I believe, a reminder of what Christmas is all about. And it may seem early to start talking about Christmas, but you've got seven shopping weeks left and that's it. Which means you have six weeks to procrastinate, three days to panic, one day to freak out, and then one more day, I think, to go to the mall and try to scramble to get stuff for a bunch of people you don't really know very well that you're going to see once a year at Christmas, and you got to get them something nice because the only time you see them and nice people go to heaven, so you got to get them something nice, okay? But you got seven weeks to plan all that. Most of us, I believe, are like many of the characters in a Charlie Brown Christmas. Maybe you're like Lucy and the rest of the gang who just don't seem to care what Christmas is all about. Or maybe you're like Snoopy, who Charlie Brown, as he walks up on his doghouse, says, even my own dog gone commercial. Snoopy just bought in completely, and he won the first prize. Or maybe you're sort of like Charlie Brown, and you're just wondering. You just don't know. Maybe it's better just to give in, and you're screaming out, isn't there anybody who knows what Christmas is all about? Well, this morning... On behalf of Linus, I hope to present to you what Christmas is all about. And in fact, if you have your Bible handy, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2 is over in the New Testament. If you're not familiar with the Bible, please don't let that stop you. The Bible's divided in half between Old Testament and New Testament. It goes Matthew, Mark, and then Luke in the New Testament. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2, and we're going to look at some verses. And I figured, since I'm speaking on behalf of Linus, I couldn't do it justice this morning without letting Linus speak for himself just a little bit. And so we'll let Linus read the first few verses of the Scripture, and then I'll pick it up where he leaves off. All right? So, fellas, if you can, let's let's pull up Linus reading the Scripture for us. Christmas is all about. Truth, And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night, and lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. The glory of the Lord shall long about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God, and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. And he's right. That's what Christmas 
is all about, Charlie Brown. And the scripture goes on to say, when the angels had left them in verse 15 and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a feeding trough or in a manger. And after seeing them, they reported the message. They were told about this child and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard, just as they had been told. The plan for this particular series about what Christmas is all about is simply to walk through these verses. The interaction that the shepherds had with the angels and then with Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus and then with themselves as they returned. That's going to be our plan. And so over the next several weeks, we're going to look at Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 20. And that's where we'll focus all of our attention. So if you want to study up, you want to memorize that, you go right ahead. We'll be there for the next seven weeks. We have seven weeks until Christmas, and we're going to pick this thing apart. We're going to learn what Christmas is all about. Today, we're going to talk about the shepherds. The first part there that Linus quoted was, there were shepherds. It seems a little bit weird that there would be shepherds. Certainly, we know this was a pastoral society, and there were lots of shepherds back then. But this story is about the birth of God's son, but there were shepherds, randomly. Shepherds. They were inserted in the story, sort of surprising, not the way that I would have done it. If it had been up to me to introduce the Son of God to the world, it would have been spectacular. It would have included fireworks and flyovers and parades and roadblocks and police escorts and camels and donkeys and all the other things of Simba that would symbolize rather that this, this is something spectacular that has happened. In fact, if you've seen the movie Aladdin, it would be like the parade to introduce Prince Ali. Here is the Son of God, Prince Ali. Here he comes. But nope, that's not how God did it. For God, there were shepherds. Let it sink in just a little bit, if you will. That the introduction of the Son of God, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the God of heaven coming to earth, and there were shepherds. Shepherds. And since there's nothing random about what God does, it's not that the shepherds just happen to be in the right place at the right time and happen to see some angels in the sky from a distance. It's not that. There were shepherds because God wanted there to be shepherds. There were shepherds because God had a purpose for the shepherds. And there were shepherds because God was making a point, both for them way back then and for us today on November 13, 2016. And it's interesting when you study a little bit about ancient shepherds, a few things become very clear. There were shepherds, and first of all, they were very ordinary. There were shepherds who were ordinary. It says, in the same region, shepherds were staying out in the field and keeping watch at night over their flocks. Just a very ordinary thing. The most ordinary jobs in America today, by the way, I looked this up, include retail sales, cashiers, people that work in the fast food industry, registered nurses, elementary teachers, and drivers of various kinds. Now, certainly we in our community here, we have common jobs. Many of us work on farms, many work in factories, many work at the hospital, some work at the university, many are in education of some kind, so on and so forth down the line. We have very ordinary kind of jobs. There was nothing special about these shepherds. They were just ordinary guys. 
In fact, for them, they were in a dead-end job. Maybe some of you know how that feels. A dead-end job. They were going nowhere. They were shepherds. They had always been shepherds, and they always would be shepherds. Stuck out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And every day and every night was the same for them. The same thing. Go corral the sheep. Go lead them to better grazing pastures. In fact, I've I've relayed this to you before. I had a friend who used to be a shepherd, literally was a shepherd in Montana. He was a shepherd for, for a few months. I emailed him one time and I said, what was it like to be a shepherd? And the one thing that I remember that he always said was the sheep always like to graze uphill. They just go, like, come on guys, come back, come back down the hill. You know, they always uphill. He said, they always graze uphill. And maybe you have a job that just seems like it's always uphill. Always grazing the wrong way. And everybody does things differently from the way that you would do them. But the shepherds were aware that there was nothing special about them. Nothing special was going to come their way. They're just average guys. Some of them were good. Hey, there's a wasp. Some of them were good. I see you looking at it. It's like the dogs and up, you bunch of squirrel. So I'm telling you, you might as well call it out. Small church, it's good enough. It's all good. You can see everything in here, can't you? There he goes. All right. It's like, listen, there's a few years ago I was coaching baseball, and there's a helicopter that goes over. And these are, no, it's actually, I think it was T ball. I think, Hank, you probably there. It's T ball. And of course, all the kids, there they go. And so I just stopped the game. I said, you got 30 seconds to watch the helicopter. So you got just about 10 seconds more to watch that silly wasp as he goes around. You are killing me. The shepherds were ordinary, average guys, some good, some not so good. Because they're ordinary, they're just easily ignored. They're just regular guys. Secondly, they were isolated. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields. They were staying out in the fields. In that same area, this is the area known as Bethlehem which was sort of a hamlet off the suburbs of Jerusalem. And so the fields around them were sort of like Elm Grove being a suburb of Murray, if you will. Now, listen, you all, I know this is a slice of heaven. When I first moved here, this was the middle of nowhere for me. You all got to understand this. I came from a big city, lots of neighborhoods, houses just packed right together. Now, listen, I agree it's a slice of heaven. I, I have no desire to go back to the neighborhoods, all right? But listen, for me, this was like moving to the fields around Bethlehem. Where in the world am I? Where have I gone? I love it, but, but that was back then, all right? In that same area, the middle of nowhere for these guys. I remember the first time that I went to Nancy's house. Nancy grew up on a farm in the middle of nowhere, literally the middle of nowhere in Illinois. Gravel roads, and she gives me directions, and she says, the last turn that you're going to make is to turn right at the stump with the yellow ring around it. So what is it? Does it have a street name? No, it's a gravel road. There's a stump there at the corner and it's got a yellow ring painted around it. You just turn right there and then we're down a little bit on the left, kind of go over the rise and there you go. The stump with the yellow ring around it. And then listen, once when they finally tore down and took up that stump, I got lost going to her house. I couldn't find it. The stump was gone. But that's the way the shepherds were. You're only going to find these guys if you go looking for them at the stump of the yellow ring. They weren't in the fields surrounding a city like Jerusalem, which was full of activity, but they're around Bethlehem, a sleepy little town that didn't have a whole lot going for it. It wasn't like there was a major interstate just close to it or a Cracker Barrel or probably even a Walmart. And I guarantee you they weren't even big enough to have a Dollar General. This was a small, 
small place. They're isolated. And they probably, these shepherds, hadn't been far from home except just to follow their sheep as they grazed uphill. They hadn't been far from home. And because theirs was a 24-7 kind of job, odds are they were the guys that were just out of sight and out of mind, just out there in the fields. Nobody thought of them. They're isolated. They're by themselves. All around them was uncultivated, just overgrown fields that were good only really for grazing of sheep. And surely they felt alone more than we know. Isolation, of course, causes a variety of problems. If you isolate yourself from people over time, you will begin slowly, without your knowledge, to go insane. That's simply what happens. And these guys probably were isolated in a variety of ways. Certainly we can imagine relationally, they had only the sheep to talk to, talk about going crazy. Culturally, they didn't know what was going on in the big city. And religiously, of course, they couldn't participate in Jewish religious rituals. Which brings us to number three, they were unclean. They're ordinary, they're isolated, and they're also unclean, largely because of their isolation, because of their always-on jobs. They they were prevented from participating in the Jewish religious worship. And even though they tended sheep that were likely bound for sacrifice somewhere, perhaps in the temple, they couldn't be a part of those rituals. And so always, 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 they were the guys who were looked at as being irreligious, as not able to participate, as being less than in the religious world because they could not go and have themselves externally, if you will, cleansed from their sins. And as time went on, the shepherds began to get a bad reputation. Not only were they unclean, but they began in some cases to act as if they were truly unclean. And it's truly heathen. They did what they wanted. And the land that they grazed their sheep on might or might not have been something they had rights to, but they went on anyway. Over time, the shepherds began to be viewed as more and more unclean. Regardless of the reason, they were on the outside looking in of Jewish religious life. And even the guys who were good shepherds would have faced that problem. Because no amount of caring for sheep could get them anywhere religiously if they couldn't participate in the rituals. And so... There were shepherds, ordinary, isolated, unclean. And the shepherds in the story, because God does not do anything randomly, the shepherds in the story represent those who are lowly, those who are humble, those who are sinners, those who are outcasts. And it was to those kinds of people that the news first came of the birth of the Son of God. To those who were ordinary, those isolated, those unclean. That was them. That's where they were. And if we peel it all back, and if we're honest this morning, then we'll find we're not much different. There were shepherds then, and then today there are the proverbial shepherds in us. We are ordinary, and we know it. In the grand scheme, we are faceless and nameless people, aren't we? We're just another church, just another town, just another state, and just another country. Faceless, nameless people just like the shepherds. And even if you're someone who is well-known or educated or successful or rich or really talented at something, you're still ordinary. How do I know? Because you still have to eat, you have to sleep, and you have to go to the bathroom. Ordinary. No matter what you think of yourself, no matter how highly I think of myself, I still have to do those three things, which makes me very, very ordinary. We're all the same. And we're isolated, probably. In many cases, and we feel it. We know we're ordinary. We feel that we're isolated. 
We're isolated sometimes in the way that we believe, the way that we think, the way that we feel, the way that we live or act. Many today are relationally isolated, feeling as if you have no one who loves you. And perhaps there's somebody here who's culturally isolated, feeling like the world is passing you by and going way too fast and things are changing way too fast. And some are religiously isolated. And you feel this morning sitting in church that there is no way on earth that God could love you. There is no way on earth that if those people in that church really, really knew you, that they would care anything about you, they'd throw you out the back door. We're isolated and we feel it. And just like the shepherds, we're unclean, even if we deny it. You might say, well, you know, I came to church, man. I tossed some money in the offering plate a little while ago. Give me a break. I'm not talking about cleaning up your act on the outside. We're not unclean based upon the things that we do on the outside. Jesus says what makes us unclean is what's in our hearts. And so if you have not been made clean, completely changed, your life completely altered and been made new by the power of the Holy Spirit through the blood of Jesus Christ, then you, unfortunately, are unclean before God. It doesn't matter what you do that's good. It doesn't matter that you do lots of great things. There is no one who gets a pass and God says, look, you're so good, you don't need to believe in Jesus. You're so good, you don't have to submit your life to him. I get it, you're good, these other people are rotten. Jesus must have died only for those folks over there because you are way too good for Jesus to die for you. God never said that. And so all of us, apart from Jesus Christ, are unclean, even if we deny it. We're all shepherds. We don't want to be shepherds, though. Being a shepherd is no fun. It's ordinary. It's isolated. It's unclean. But it was to shepherds just like you and me that the angels first appeared and announced that Jesus, the very Son of God, had been born. It wasn't to King Herod. It wasn't to Jerusalem. It wasn't to the wise men. It wasn't to people with money. It wasn't to those who had some special status. It was to the shepherds, and God did that on purpose. He sent his angels to the people that were ordinary and knew it. To those who were isolated and felt it. To those who were unclean and couldn't deny it. He sent his angels to those guys because that's who he sent his son to. The story of the shepherds isn't there so that... We can learn what to do when an angel appears to you in a field and how do you talk to an angel in a field. That's not why the story of the shepherds is there. The story of the shepherds is there because Jesus came for the shepherds, people just like them and people just like us. It's for the humble and the lowly that Jesus came. It's for those who admit that they're ordinary, they're isolated, that they're unclean, that his salvation is available. God showed up to them because they were ordinary because they were isolated, and because they were unclean. They were never going to be more than ordinary, never more than isolated, never more than unclean. They were never going to be good enough for God to show up to them. And that's who Jesus came for. By no merit of their own, nothing they could do would cause the angels to show up in that field on that night. It was simply by God's grace, and only God would visit such people to announce the birth of Jesus. Only God would do that. Luke's gospel goes on to tell us the story of the poor and the lowly. And over and over and over, he tells us that's who God came for. But he starts with the shepherds. There were shepherds, ordinary, isolated, unclean, and that's who the angels came to. That's who Jesus came for. And so let me challenge you with one thing today. 
And if I could hold the mirror up and just not see you, I would preach the same sermon this morning. If I could challenge you, I'm challenging myself with one thing to do, and that is to stop trying to be good enough. Stop. Stop trying to be good enough. The shepherds weren't good enough for God to show up in the middle of the field. They didn't do anything to earn it. Later on, they became despised and untrustworthy. They weren't the good guys. They were just ordinary. They were isolated. They were unclean. They did nothing to earn it that night. They could do nothing afterward to prove that there was anything worthy in them that God would so choose to appear to them. They just had to admit we're not good enough and God did something on our behalf. Let me encourage you, stop trying to be good enough. Our search for significance, our quest to be good enough is killing us. It's absolutely killing us. And particularly those of us who claim faith in Jesus Christ, it's destroying our faith in Him. It's bringing doubt that we never anticipated. It's killing our faith, and it's completely unnecessary. We've bought into and we've believed so many lies. There's a great book that I've, that I've read. It's called The Search for Significance. And the author makes this particular comparison, four different ways that we search for this. Here's what he says. He talks about the performance trap. Maybe you find yourself in this. And with that, the belief is that I must meet certain standards to feel good about myself. And if I don't, then I must not be very good. The consequences he lists are the fear of failure, perfectionism, the drive to succeed, the manipulation of others to achieve success, and the withdrawal from healthy risks. And he lists God's answer as justification. That God not only has forgiven me of my sins, but has granted me the righteousness of Christ. And because of that justification, I now am covered in Christ's righteousness, and therefore I am fully pleasing to my heavenly Father. Those of us that believe we must meet certain standards in order to feel good about ourselves will never feel good about ourselves. Why? Because there's always somebody better than us. There's always somebody with more than us. There's always somebody farther down the line than we are. And God says, I've taken care of it. You don't have to feel good about yourself. You don't have to feel bad about yourself. You don't have to reach any particular standard. Jesus has done it for you. The author makes a second point. He talks about those who are addicted to approval. And the belief here is that I must be approved by certain others in order to feel good about myself. The consequences include the fear of rejection. It would be devastating if you were rejected or criticized by somebody. You attempt to please others at any cost. You're overly sensitive to criticism and you withdraw from others to avoid disapproval. You just can't take it if somebody doesn't like you. If you're not in good standing, if things aren't right between you, you just can't stand it. And God's answer to that, the author makes the point, is the idea of reconciliation. That although I was at one time hostile toward God and alienated from Him, I'm now forgiven and I've been brought into an intimate relationship with Him through Jesus Christ and through Christ alone. And when you recognize that and you believe that, The fear of rejection is gone because you have been approved and accepted by the only one who counts, by the one who created all those people whose rejection you fear so much. 
I am totally accepted by God because of Jesus Christ. He makes a third point, talking about the idea of the blame game. And he says, those who fail, and we typically turn this on ourselves, because I have failed, I don't deserve love. I'm unworthy of love, and I deserve only punishment over and over and over and over and over. And most of the time, as a friend of mine likes to say, it's self-flagellation. It's over and over. I just hit myself over and over and over because I need to blame somebody. And you know what? It's my fault. And we begin to fear punishment. We begin maybe to punish others or blame others for our personal failure. And we withdraw from God and we withdraw from others. And we constantly want to avoid failure so that we can't be punished. And God's answer is that Jesus took upon himself the punishment that we deserve. It's a Bible term called propitiation. That means that he took it on our behalf and he, by his death and by his resurrection, by the cross, he has satisfied God's wrath and I no longer stand under it. I am no longer under the threat of punishment by God. Do you understand the good news that in Jesus we no longer stand under God's wrath? You no longer have to fear that God's going to strike you with a lightning bolt because of what you just said, thought, or did. That in Jesus Christ, all of God's punishment, all of God's wrath was poured out on his son on the cross. No drops to hit us. None whatsoever drip off of Jesus to hit us. The only thing that drips from him is the blood of Calvary that covers our sin. He talks fourthly about the idea of shame. And the false belief here is that I am what I am. I cannot change. And as a result, I'm hopeless. And so we feel lots of shame and hopelessness and inferiority and we're very passive and we lose our creativity and we isolate ourselves and we withdraw from others. And the biblical answer to that is that when you are in Christ, you have been made new and the old things are gone. If anyone, the scripture says, as Paul wrote, is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. No longer needing to feel shame, no longer what you used to be. I am what I am. I cannot change. I've told myself that a million times, and every time I do, I spit in the face of Jesus Christ who said, I can change you. By the power of my Holy Spirit, I can change you. Stop trying to be good enough. It's unhelpful. It's unnecessary, and it's impossible. And on the flip side, let me encourage you simply to receive God's grace. Those shepherds did nothing to deserve it. They're just a bunch of dudes hanging out in the field. On a starry night, they did nothing. And God says, hey, fellas, you're exactly the kind of people that I'm sending my son for. And let me tell you about him. He's been born. Just receive God's grace. That's the story of the shepherds. God's grace to those who didn't deserve it, couldn't earn it, and weren't even looking for it. Those who try to be good enough are going to miss God's grace. I do it all the time. Those who try to be good enough effectively believe that the death of Jesus was pointless or insufficient. Those who try to be good enough, and I say this as I said, the mirror in front of me, are arrogant enough to believe that they can be good enough. And those who try to be good enough for telling God that he doesn't know what he's talking about. Just receive the grace of God.
Just like the shepherds were forced to do that night. That's the answer to being ordinary, to being isolated, to being unclean. It's God's grace. Just like the first disciples... Just like Paul, Paul wrote these words in 1 Timothy chapter 1, I give thanks to to Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, appointing appointing me to the ministry. One who was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an arrogant man. But I received mercy because I acted out of ignorance and unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This is a trustworthy saying. This is the Apostle Paul writing this. A trustworthy saying deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and I am the worst of them. But I received mercy for this reason, so that in me, the worst of them, Christ Jesus might demonstrate his extraordinary patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. And he wrote later in 1 Corinthians, Brothers, consider your calling. Not many are wise from a human perspective, not many powerful, not many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing, to bring to to nothing that which is viewed as something, so that no one can boast in his presence. But it is from him that you are in Christ Jesus, who became God-given wisdom for us, our righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, in order that, as it is written, the one who boasts must boast in the Lord. Just receive God's grace. It's counterintuitive. We think we ought to have to do something and be something and and strive for something and be good enough and then, okay, God, I'm ready to come to you now because I got my life cleaned up and everything's in order. And God says, what on earth are you doing? You're stupid. At least that's what he tells me. You're stupid. Have you not read... Do you not know that you cannot be good enough and that your efforts are unhelpful and they're unnecessary and it's impossible in the first place? Just receive God's grace through Jesus Christ. God used the foolish things to shame the wise. He turns everything on its ear. He sends angels to shepherds because he sent his son to shepherds. And that's what Christmas is all about. We can't be good enough, so in his grace, God sent his son. And so this week, when you find yourself believing that you must meet a certain standard in order to feel good about yourself, you remind yourself that you are pleasing to God because of Jesus Christ and Him alone. This week, when you find yourself believing that you must be approved by certain other people in order to feel good about yourself, you remind yourself that God has already approved you because of what Jesus has done for you. And this week, when you fail... And then you subsequently believe that those who fail, mostly yourself, are unworthy of love and deserve only to be punished. You remind yourself that Jesus took all of your punishment and you're not on the hook for it anymore. And this week, when you feel that you are what you are, that you cannot change and as a result you are hopeless, you remind yourself that you are a new creation in Jesus Christ and that the power of his resurrection gives hope that you could never generate on your own no matter how good you are. Stop trying to be good enough and just receive God's grace, just like the shepherds. Let's pray together.
I'm convinced this morning that I'm not the only person that need to hear this sermon. I know I'm one, but I'm probably not the only one. You may be a person who sits there this morning and says, I don't even understand what God's grace is, but I know I need to receive it. And maybe for the very first time, you've seen Jesus as the only one who's good enough, and you'd place your faith in Him and say, Lord, I surrender my life to You. I believe in You. Or maybe you're already a Christian, and you're struggling with all these different false beliefs. And it's time to just get back to being a shepherd who can't be good enough, but who simply receives God's grace anyway. I do this from time to time, and it's not so I get in your business. It's just so you know somebody will pray for you in the next few moments. If you're a person this morning and you say, you know what? There's something about this sermon this morning. There's something about this scripture. There's something about those shepherds. There's something about me needing to be good enough, and I'm struggling with it. And I just want this morning for God's grace to overwhelm me. I want to pray for you. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to ask you to stand up and talk about it or pray out loud or anything like that. But if that's you this morning, then all I'd ask is in the next couple of minutes... that you simply lift your eyes and you make eye contact with me and then you can put them back down and I'll be sure to pray for you. You say, I, I, I'm, I'm tired of being good enough. It's wearing me out. It's impossible. And I'm failing at every turn and I feel so awful about myself. God's grace is available for you this morning. It's available for you. Simply receive it. Believe that it's true and allow the Holy Spirit as you surrender, as you give up your good enough, allow the Holy Spirit to change your life. You're not alone this morning. Heavenly Father, I pray for those this morning who are struggling just like I have with this particular truth. God, I pray that your grace would overflow and overwhelm us today. Remind us again of the truth of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we thank you that we don't have to guess if we're good enough. We know we're not. And as a result, we know we can count on Jesus. Thank you. It's not a moving target. Jesus alone is our salvation. We trust you this morning. God, for those who this morning need to give their lives to you, I pray they'd they'd not hold out. And Lord, you would convict and prompt them this morning. As we close with a song, God, may it be the cry of our hearts that you would have your own way with us. And may it be, Lord, that we would see that way as the way of grace. Thank you, Lord, for who you are and what you've done. And we thank you that there were shepherds. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me, please, as we close?